me just make a few announcements <clears throat> concerning things that we have going. We have a prayer meeting for this class each week on Sunday mornings at, at uh, uh, 8.45 to 9.15. So before the early morning service, we have a prayer meeting. Now, I know you're all busy, but I'm going to ask you to come at least once a month. All right? I'm going to ask you to come at least once a month. If you're not serving with the kids, if you're not serving in some other way, making, serving the breakfast and things, I really want you to learn how to pray. You say, well, I'm not a very good prayer. There is all the more reason. Get around people who pray and you'll learn how to pray. If, if, if you want to learn how to speak and you don't go around people that speak, you won't learn how to speak. All right? You learn how to pray by being around people who pray. And, and uh, um, you say, well, I don't have any way to get here. Let me ask you this. If you had a job interview and it was two miles from, away from where you lived, would you say, oh, I don't have anywhere, any way to get there? You're going to have to supply a limo for me to come there and interview. Would you do that? Or would you find a way to get there? All right? You take an Uber, you get a zip car, you ride a bicycle, or you walk. All right? You figure it out. Figure out a way to get there. You, you, you can be really industrious, find somebody else that comes to church early, and come. So that's, that's uh, uh, 8.45 to 9.15 a.m. on Sundays, and it's in the church in room 212. All right? I'd love to have you come and learn how to pray with us. Once a month, that's all I'm asking. It's, it's every week, but I want you to come, I want you each to commit to come once a month, because it's only through prayer that we're going to see the Word of God driven through to see people saved. We must see people saved. We cannot be like other places where people do not get saved. We must see people saved. And God will move, and He will act, okay? And uh, uh, the other thing is, I mean, there are certain acts that we need to be part of. If you have not been baptized as as a, a walking, thinking human being, you ought to be baptized. So if you were just sprinkled as a kid, that's not good enough. Learn how to, how to walk in obedience. I have never seen a person without baptism grow in the Lord. I've never seen it. Maybe you'll be the first one, but I've never seen it. So, so I ask you to, to consider walking in obedience to the Lord. Consider walking in obedience to the Lord in the waters of baptism. Okay, with that, we'll start with Genesis chapter 12, reading from verse 10. And so to put it in context, remember what we had said last time is, is Abram was very obedient. He left in the northern part in the area in Haran, around Syria. He came on down. He, he set up camp uh, uh, in, in near, near Shechem. And then he set up another camp in, in, uh, uh, between Bethel and Ai. And then he moved down into the Negev. And now all of a sudden, here he is following God, and guess what happens? A famine hits. And we're going to pick that up now in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. And it came about, when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken in the Pharaoh's house. Therefore they treated Abram well for her sake, and gave him sheep, and oxen, and donkeys, and male and female servants, and female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called 
Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. Okay, so what happens is, is we see in this, in this portion that, that uh, um, a famine hits. Now he was walking in obedience and a famine hit. Just because you're walking in obedience to the Lord does not mean that you're not going to go through things in life. In fact, sometimes it comes just because you're walking in, in obedience, because it's a chance to grow. Now remember, Abram is very young in his faith. He comes from an idol-worshipping family. We are told that in Joshua. We are told that his father was, was an idol-worshipper. And so he comes from an idol-worshipping family. He is just learning about the Lord. Quick obedience. The Lord spoke to him. He he proceeds out of Haran and he comes into the land. He didn't know where he was going to go and then it wasn't until he was in the land that God gave him the promise that said, this land is for your descendants. He had a barren wife, but he says, this land is for your descendants. He probably thought, I'll get another wife and then I'll have descendants. And there's record of that as we're going to see in the scriptures. But uh, uh, it was promised to his descendants, never to him. The promise to him came later. The first promise, and so we read all of that. Now, it says, a famine hits, and so he went down into Egypt to sojourn there. Not to live there, but to sojourn there. So he wasn't going to set up residence there, but there was a famine in the land. Now, is it a good thing that he had left the land, or should he have gone into Egypt, or shouldn't he have? The scriptures do not tell us. doesn't tell us. But what we learn about is, as they get near Egypt, in verse 11 that he says to Sarah's wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. Now, Sarai is, is 65 years old, because in, earlier in this chapter it says Abraham, Abram was 75, and later on in the book of Genesis we learn that she's 10 years younger than him. So she's 65 years old, and she is a beautiful woman. I mean, she is hot. Now, you say, how can a 65-year-old woman be hot? Well, the nearer you get to 65, the more women can look hot when they're 65. That's one thing. The other thing is that, is that I see some women who are, who are movie stars and they're 65 and it's amazing. I mean, they must live with lots of Botox or something, but they just are retained. Now, also, people were living about twice as long as they do now. So, so uh, 65 is the new 32. You know, so, so that, that, that's what it is. And so there's a lot of, of women that can look really good at 32. So she was really pretty. And he says, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. He should have said that earlier. I mean, women love to hear that. So in this context, he says, I know you're a beautiful woman. I've known it, I've known, for as long as we've been married, I've known it. I just kind of kept it quiet. You know how I felt. I didn't have to express it. So he says, I know you're a beautiful woman. And then when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. And this is a real concern, because there was wife abduction in those days, and we're going to see this very thing happens to him. And so they're going to kill him and take his wife. So why is he going into Egypt? He could have sent his servants. Remember it said earlier in the chapter he had, he had uh, 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 servants with him, that he, people he had acquired, so either they were servants or they were slaves. Did you know Abram was a slave owner? Do you dislike him now? 
I mean, it was a different generation. God selected him. God must have loved that man. He loved him a lot. He's called the friend of God. He's a slave owner. And he was wealthy. Not nearly as wealthy as he's about to be, but he was a wealthy slave owner. And he could have sent down, for example, uh, uh, um, he, had, he had a trusted servant from Damascus, Eleazar from Damascus, that we'll pick, see him later on in this chapter, in, in this book. But he could have sent him there to get food, as did Jacob when there was a famine. He sent his sons to get food and bring it back. He's going into a very dangerous situation with his family. He didn't have to. He could have sent servants to have gotten food. But as he's going there, as he approaches Egypt, he says, you know, just tell them that you're my sister. Now, he says, don't tell them you're my wife because they'll kill me. If you're my sister, then they'll just take you and, and, uh, um, and they'll let me live. Now, she was his half-sister, we learn later on in the book of Genesis. She was from the same father, but a different mother. So it was a half of a lie. But she was clearly his wife, and he tells her, don't, don't, don't say anything. He says, please say that you're my sister so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. And it came about when Abram went into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman and that she was very beautiful and Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So, we don't have a whole lot written in the scriptures but actually Jewish writings expand upon this. It's not scripture, we don't know if it's entirely accurate. It's all from oral tradition. But it says it happened right as he was going into Egypt. There the border guards saw how beautiful this woman was. In fact... Abram, it says, was trying to hide her and they saw how beautiful she was, but they recognized how hot this woman was and so they, they say, let's reserve her for Pharaoh. And they do. And so Pharaoh uh, uh, sees her and, and she goes into his harem and they treated Abram well. They gave him seven things. Sheep, oxen, donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. Seven things they gave him. He got a lot of servants. He hit the lottery. How do we know he hit the lottery? Because in the beginning of chapter, of chapter 13, it says, and Abram was very rich, very rich, not just regular rich like he was before. Now he was very rich. He got a ton of stuff. So this lie, through this lie, the man hit the lottery. Huge. You've heard the expression, follow the money. We're going to follow the lie today. Today we will follow the lie. Well, part of what the lie got him was a lot of money. The man became really wealthy at Sarai's expense. Here she's tossed into a harem at the age of 65. She's taken away from her family. And all she knows is, this is it. Now she's Pharaoh's wife. Almost like being sold into slavery in that sense. It says, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. And in fact, the Hebrew here, the, 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 the word that's emphasized here is the great, great plagues. I mean, not just little ones, huge plagues. We don't have a, it doesn't tell us what the plague was. In fact, the Jewish literature said it was a, a skin disease of the genitals, would have, which would have prevented Pharaoh from touching any of his wives. And, and, uh, um, and you see that promise. Remember the promise? Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And we talked about those two words. Curse and curse are different words. The one is those who disesteem you. Even those who look upon you poorly, I will harm. Disesteem, harm. It is not an in-kind cursing. It is an extreme cursing. 
those who even disesteem you, I will harm. You see now the outworking of it. This is the first outworking of it. Because God knows he had made a promise, even though Abram didn't understand it, when he said, your descendants will get that land. Sarai was his intent to do it through. And now if Pharaoh ends up sleeping with her, that will cut off the line and that will cut off the line to the promised Messiah, Jesus. God will never allow that. Hit him in the genitals. Boom. This is the blessing for blessing, curse for curse, but the curse is much harder than the curse that, that w- w- was, was given upon, uh, uh, upon uh, Sarai. I mean, huge. And so Pharaoh, we don't know exactly how he knew, but Sarai is fine and everyone else in his house is just writhing in pain and he's like, what's with you? How come you're not hurt? Well, actually, that man out there, he's my husband. It's your husband. He realizes this is a man of God and here you have a Gentile. Here you have someone who is not under the blessing reproving him as Abram deserves. What is this you have done to me? Pharaoh says. He asks him three questions. What is this you've done to me? No answer. Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Abram doesn't answer. Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? No answer. The man has no answer. Because he has now been shamed. Here is a man representing God and a Gentile from the world is shaming him. Sometimes we have bosses that rightly shame us for our actions. And it's not like, hey, I'm a believer. Why is he saying this to me? Because you deserve it. Because you've been lazy. Because you didn't do a good job, maybe. And we all sometimes deserve reproof, even from the unbeliever. We work for unbelievers often. And we have to be subject to them. And Abram was rightly confronted on this and rightly challenged. And so he told his men, so he said, take your wife, take her and go. And he told his men, don't touch this guy, lead him away from here. And all those gifts, it's his. I'm not going to touch this man of God. Nothing am I going to do to this man of God. And he hit the lottery. He was now very wealthy. Let's follow the lie. So what did the lie get him? The lie got him the lottery. But this money was his downfall in many ways. Just like anybody who wins the lottery, it destroys their life. If you think, I could win the lottery, it wouldn't affect me because I'd give 10% to my church. It will affect you. I know lots of rich people and their lives are filled with trying to struggle with all the money they have to have. People are always coming to them and asking for money. And every relationship is, do they really like me? Or is it just because I'm rich that they like me? You look at really rich people. I know a few billionaires. I'm not talking about guys who just have 10 or 20 or 30 million. I mean billionaires. I know two billionaires personally. Their lives are, are hard. I mean, it's constantly, what, how do I manage this money? People come to them. How do I deal with this? And Filled. Their lives are filled with insincere friends. They just listen to them and laugh at all their jokes just because they have money. It's hard to have money. Well, does it mess up Abram's life? Oh no, he was a generous man. No, it messed up his life. Do you know the result of this money? We're going to see in the next chapter, he had so many cattle. And Lot, his nephew who was with him, was given a bunch of cattle too. So much so, if you look in in chapter 13, it says, 
It says in verse 3, He went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where the altar had he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Okay, so he's not in the Negev anymore. The Negev is barren. I've been there many times. Barren. He's got all his cattle now, all these sheep, all these herds. He's got to go back up into what's ultimately going to be called the wilderness of Judea and Ephraim. That's a rich area. Rich area. It can't sustain the two of them. It says, it says uh, uh, in verse 5 of chapter 13, Now Lot went with Abram, also had... Uh, now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while they were dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were living in, were living then in the land. You had the Canaanites and the Perizzites, two Gentile nations, and the land could sustain them. But now you have two rich Jews. And the land can't sustain them. They're so rich. You have Abram, the uncle. Lot, the nephew. Lot was the only one of all his family that traveled with him. They were good friends. Lot's father had died. Abram was probably like a father to him. And the land can't sustain them. Money will cause division like nothing else I know. You watch what happens with a will. Money, a will causes division between brothers and sisters that they never had when the parents were alive. That's why some of you are going to, at some point, make a lot of money. You want to be very careful how you divide that up among your heirs. And I would suggest you be very careful about leaving a lot of money to young people because it screws up their lives and it messes up their marriages. That you be very careful how you, you put that money forth. When people know that they have a big trust fund awaiting them, they tend not to work. I know a lot of children of rich people in this city, and a lot of them don't want to work because everything's set up for them. Be careful about how you leave trust funds to people. You really can mess them up. Be careful about how you manage these things. This shows the division. Let's track the lie. What is the result of the lie? The result of the lie is they got so filthy, stinking rich that, it couldn't, that even that rich territory couldn't sustain the two of them and they had to divide. What couldn't split them apart, traveling around all over this, this countryside, couldn't split apart Abram and Lot. But money did. Riches did. That's the result of the lie. But the lie doesn't end there. It's not just that. You see here, it says, it says, um, if we look at the seven things in verse 16 of chapter 12, therefore he treated Abram well for her sake, and he gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. I mean, so he had a lot of cattle, land couldn't sustain him, but he also got male and female servants. Lots of them. Why? Because Pharaoh can just, you know, he gave the dowry. No negotiation in this dowry. Just overwhelm him. What does Pharaoh care? I mean, he's, he's like, you know, he owns the whole country. Everything is his. Pharaoh's a god. He got male and female servants. You know what one of those servants' names was? Hagar. Hagar. 
who Abram is going to end up having Ishmael through, who is an enemy and battling with the Jews to this day. And you know the result of Lot separating from Abram? He goes down to the city of Sodom. And his daughters learn a lot in the sexual realm that they never would have lived to learn about had they lived in the wilderness with Abram. And so then when Lot has to flee, his wife looks back at the city, he loses his wife. And then his two daughters get him drunk on two successive nights. That's Lot. Lot was a righteous man. It says it twice in the New Testament that Lot had a righteous soul and he was a righteous man. So I'm not picking on Lot. I'm telling you what his daughters did. They got him drunk. Two successive nights, they had incest with him. One on one night and the second on the second night. And then came forth two other people groups. The Moabites and the Ammonites. Moab and Ammon were born from that incestual relationship between Lot and his daughters. That they learned going into Sodom after having split from Abram. Follow the lie. What is the result of the lie? The destruction of family. The bringing in of enemies. That's the result of the lie. You think he hit the lottery and it was really good? Not so good. And then Ishmael comes in to the scene. Well, what do you expect? Who told him to take Ishmael? Who told him to take Hagar as a wife? It was Sarai. Sarai was the one who said, you know, I'm not bearing you children. Sleep with this handmaid of mine, this Egyptian woman. Why would a wife ever say, sleep with this other woman? I mean, what do you... Is Sarai, are you for real? Well, what do you expect when a husband says to her, go and run off with this man. You go with this man just so that I can be protected? I mean, you come in my home, try to touch my wife, I will kill you. That's what any normal man would do. You don't say, you want to rob us? Take my wife, just leave me alone. I mean, who would say that? He taught his whole family how to lie in this. He treated his, fam his wife with disdain, with sexual disdain even. It's no wonder she would say to him, you go sleep with that woman. Who, what wife would say that? Well, after she had been treated this way, to say, you go sleep with whatever man. Well, I don't know what it is, Pharaoh. We're going into a country, there a lot of wife abduction there. They're going to see you're hot. So, you know, I don't want to have to defend you. So just for my sake, just say, you're the sister. And it'll go well with me. I mean, that's what it's all about. When you start bringing in a lack of respect in the sexual realm into a marriage. There are all sorts of problems that are going to take place. When the man starts bringing in a lack of sexual respect for his wife, a lack of sexual care for his wife, that there is a oneness of a relationship that shall not be compromised. When a man starts compromising on that, he doesn't just, it's not just for the good for the man. He brings this in. And it's going to have an effect on his wife and how she then affects him. And it's going to have an effect on his children. I know a man, and, and remember, I told you I'm not a prophet. I just, I just have lived long enough to have a lot of data points. I, know a young, I knew a young man 
and he was getting married and, and uh, um, he got married and he never should have gotten into that marriage because he, unbelie- he was an unbeliever, she was a believer and I begged them not to get married. Well, they got married and what ultimately happens in those sort of unequally yoked relationships that do not form uh, 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 rightly in the Lord, even though she said, you know, I love him for, for what he is and not for what he isn't, which kind of sounds righteous, but it's in disobedience. Well, after a few years, the marriage breaks up and I begged, I said, please don't, don't divorce her. He had two kids by that time. I said, please don't divorce her. I said, you know, divorce is contagious. You do this, and it'll happen to your children. You know what he said to me? He says, don't give me your Bible stuff. Your Bible does not apply to me. Well, his son is not yet 30. So this man, he divorced, got married, more kids, divorced from there, got married a third time, divorced from there. So it's been a pattern in his life. Remember, I told you, just watch these data points. I watch people's lives, and I watch the Bible get fulfilled in people's lives. His son, with the first wife, is not yet 30 and has been married and divorced twice. What we do, the evil that we do, is contagious within our families. That's why Lot, who's under his care, you see this utter disrespect that Lot's daughters have for the familial relationship with the father. You don't get him drunk. And have sex with him just because you're worried that, you know, it's going to be hard to get married and we want to have kids. I mean, this is sick. This is sick. It was sick in that day too. That's how sick it got. Remember, what we sow, we reap. But you never sow one kernel of corn and get one kernel of corn back. You get 10,000 kernels of corn back. Whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. The scriptures say, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. You bring pornography into your marriage and hang out with your pornography while you're trying to hang out with your wife and think it's going to be okay, this is just between us. What you're teaching your wife is utter disrespect for the marital relationship. And she will disrespect you for that. That's why you get a handle on this thing. You, you learn how to walk in accountability and you strive to break it. I have been there in the addiction and God broke that the day that I got saved, but he, he, I had a lot of other problems He didn't break in me. You don't always get things broken the day you get saved. And so you take pains with this thing, you work through this thing, and you say, God, break my heart so that I would detest it. You think, well, once I'm in my marriage, I don't have to have that. That's a lie. You're lying to yourself because you don't yet know. You'll bring it right into your marriage. If you're into pornography before marriage, you'll carry it right into your marriage and it'll become a part of your marital relationship and a part right of your bed within your marriage. And then it will breed disrespect for you from your wife. And she'll start doing things that you never imagined. Total disrespect he had for Sarah. This is a great man. Abram, remember, there's more good things written about Abram in the Bible than anybody else except Jesus. This is a great man. But great men have problems too, and some of those problems are great problems. And the Bible teaches this 
to us so that we can avoid it. And oh, that's a nice story. <laughs> no, it's for our teaching. It's for our instruction. Look, follow the lie. Follow the lie. The destruction of Lot's wife. The incest with his daughters. The generation of two different people groups that become an enemy to the children of Israel to this day. Ishmael, through the Egyptian handmaid that was given on this occasion, that brought the Hagar that was given and then Ishmael as a result, that again is another conflicting group to this day. Follow the lie. The scripture says, to whom much is given, much is expected in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. So that which comes upon the great man, the wicked decisions, the lie that a great man tells, has a greater effect. The greater you are in the Lord, the greater the effect. To whom much is given, much is expected. Remember, if you be in Christ, if you are in Christ, the decisions you make have a greater effect than if you're not in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're spiritually dead. If you're in Christ, you're spiritually alive the decisions that you make will have even a greater effect. You're held more accountable to whom much is given, much is expected. You expect much more of a 21-year-old child than you do of a 7-year-old child. To whom much is given, much is expected. This is why we've got to get a handle on this and understand what lies can do. There is forgiveness in Christ. There is forgiveness. There was forgiveness for Abram. God loved Abram. But he carried the pain of that lie for years and years and years. Throughout history, there were promises made on that person's life. And, but that lie carried with it great problems. So I urge you, when we take the Lord's Supper today, that if there's something in your life... Ask God to forgive you. Let Him see that it breaks your heart. And if it doesn't break your heart, say, Lord, take out my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. That's what the Bible says that we should do. So that I would feel this pain that you feel. Sometimes when my kids do things, I'm like, you don't know what that's going to do in your life. And it pains me much more than it does them. You think it should pain them because it's going to hit their life. No, as their father, it pains me more. That's how it is with God. And if you don't know God, if you've never accepted Jesus, it pains God to see you spiritually dead. The Bible says you're then under the hand of the devil. You're under the control of the devil. You're under the control of wickedness if you've never received the Lord in your life. So I urge you this day, open your heart and receive Jesus. His forgiveness will come showering upon you. The day that I came before the Lord and I bowed before the Lord and I said, Lord, forgive me and come into my life. Just His Forgiveness was just showered on me. The Lord visited me that day with the showering of His forgiveness. He will do that for you today. So I urge you, when we pray, to repeat with me in prayer. Where you're going to say, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me, come into my life. And if you pray that prayer, you've got to come and talk to me. You have to. You owe me that. You have to come and talk to me. If you pray that prayer and receive the Lord and you do not tell me, you have terribly gypped me. I must know about this. Because I want to see you get 
in the right relationship with the Christian body of Christ and begin to get into discipleship so that the decision you make, which is a seed, an important seed which will be planted in your heart this very day, can mature and grow. And we're also going to have lunch after this. If you receive the Lord, you've got to come and sit with me over lunch because I just want to make assurance of that for my sake and for yours that you would receive the Lord. And if you know the Lord this day, and there are lies and things that are hitting your life, and you think that you can live this thing and it's all going to be just fine because nobody knows about it, I urge you this day to repent before God. Lest this thing carry through into the relationships that you are soon to make and the marriages that are soon to form. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Your word is good and true and right. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for those here who know you that you would so work in their lives that they would cry out and beat their breast and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for this lie. Forgive me for living this way. Father, for those who have brought things into a marriage or into a, a, a soon-to-be marriage, in the sexual realm that are going to, that's going to cause destruction because of disrespect and dishonor, that have fallen into sin before marriage for things that should have waited for marriage. Father, I pray that they would beat their breasts this day and say, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner. And this day they would set that right and they would say, never again. Lord, forgive me. Let that be broken. Father, that they would maintain moral standards before marriage so that they can be maintained rightly in marriage. Father, protect them, I pray. And Father, for those here who do not know you, I pray, Lord, that they would repeat this prayer with me now. Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me. Wash me by the blood of Jesus. I believe Jesus has risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I commit those lives to you. And I commit this message to you. Drive it home to these young people's hearts. May they never forget this message. Lord Jesus, for your glory. You are my glorious Lord. Praise be to your name. I know of no sweeter name than the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise be to your name. Amen.